Counseling Podcast. It's not for therapists, it's for everybody. I'm your host, Jared Pope. Um, with me today, I have a licensed professional counselor, a master's in marriage and family counseling, and a, uh, a quite well-trained perinatal mood disorders therapist, uh, Debbie Turner. Say hi, Debbie. Hi. Um, today, we're going to be talking about technology's effects on mental health. I'm finding that this is a bigger and bigger issue. I think more and more people that I'm meeting with, more and more parents that are coming into the office are talking about technology as the sort of um, epicenter of what their child is facing. Are you finding something something similar in your line of work? Well, sure, absolutely. And, you know, technology is everywhere, right? Yes. We can't even avoid it if we wanted to. Probably every single one of us uses it a good portion of our day every day and we're finding that our children are using it more and more you know used to it was not something that was part of school now it is a huge part of school and kids are getting you know devices earlier and earlier now and cell phones earlier and earlier so yeah it's it's prevalent it's everywhere and it's touching just about every part of our life I heard someone tell me that technology is a little bit like food. A relationship with technology and a relationship with food is very similar, uh, especially nowadays, where we have to have it. We absolutely have to have it. You can't function in the 21st century without some sort of computer somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? How many of us would, if we left our phone somewhere, would probably feel at a huge loss. We probably would freak out. We would probably spend an hour out of our day or more if we had to to go back and get it. If I leave my cell phone somewhere, I feel naked. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a piece of clothing that wasn't put on that morning. Or maybe even a part of our body missing, like an arm or something that we're just disabled for the day, right? Exactly. I was on vacation and my, my phone went out on me. And I didn't have access to it for about a day and a half. And I was just panicking, so worried about what was going to happen. Yeah. I said, oh, no, no, I'm going to lose. Something bad's going to happen. Something bad's going to so happen. So just your loss of that technology for a day created a lot of anxiety for you? On vacation. Even. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a horrible combination of things. So. When you were supposed to be... Not having having fun, having fun on a beach. I was too busy going. Okay, I can't get my phone to charge, and it's yeah. it's not going anymore. So, I got it remedied. Great news, but uh, nevertheless, it took away from my my time. Ironically, away from the technology. So I thought that was a, a really funny thing. But I think everyone has a story and experience like this right. in some way, shape, or form. And I think as we're looking at technology. One thing we're finding is it's just been this incredible field of growth and it's had a lot of really, really positive and amazing effects, is we're finding that it has some pretty significant, notable connections to issues related to mental health. Right, right. We're seeing there there is a um, you know, some correlations um, with our teenage population. Um, Especially, you know, we've got higher levels of anxiety and depression amongst teenagers than we've ever had before. Um, I think one statistic I saw said that the um, level of anxiety in a teenager today is equivalent to that of a mental health patient in the 1950s. Mm. It's pretty striking, right? Yeah. Um, So 
and you know, aside from teenagers, we know it's also affecting couples and marriages. You know, mm. there's just disconnection, but. Um, yeah, can, can you elaborate on that just a, a little bit more? What do you think are sort of married couples facing uh, due to technology? Well, that lack of connection, you've probably seen the, the pictures that maybe on Facebook or other places of the couple in bed with their backs to each other and, you know, the device has gone out of their hand, but their hand is open as if they were holding a device. Yeah, you know, that, I've seen that. That they're using technology as a substitute for connection, for um, meaningful relationships, you know, letting something that's an immaterial, um, non-present thing take away from their time together. Yeah. I go to restaurants and I'm shocked when I see couples sitting together at a table supposedly having a date or spent trying to spend time together and they're both on their devices you know to me it's very sad that we we can't even eat a meal it seems like anymore mm. without having you know our faces in a, in a device no that makes perfect sense to me uh, are there other issues that you're seeing coming up uh that's sort of correlated again i, I remember you saying that it's not that we're finding that technology is the cause directly of all these things. It just kind of seems to be a very high correlation. It's always in the same room with these issues. Right. Maybe it's not Well, holding. ADHD is, is pretty high right now, right? Mm. We, we hear that's a buzzword everywhere. Kids everywhere seem to be struggling with um, an inability to um, focus, have attention, that kind of things. Um, being on ADHD medication for that problem. So, you know, we kind of wonder what's going on here? Why is this seem so rampant? Yeah. Um, is there a correlation here with technology? We do know there's a high correlation. We're just not sure if technology is causing the ADHD or if the ADHD is, um, you know, feeding into um, what we're calling now technology addiction. Um, there's now centers popping up across the United States for actually treating technology addiction issues. We've got, That's interesting. you know, we've got young people that are not able to cope with everyday life because technology is, you know, hijacking their ability to, to function, whether it's in school, whether it's in life, in relationships in some form or another. Um, there's a problem and yeah. so we're we're having to learn how to treat this when there's never been a problem before there's no um, protocol for this mm. there's no um, textbooks for therapists on how to treat this because we've not had this problem before yeah no that's uh, I think that's a lot to take in and I, I know you're not an addiction specialist but uh, you had sort of stated that technology addiction uh, was sort of the idea that you brought out and I, I'd be curious like how does someone know if they or their loved one has an actual technology addiction like what would be some of the signs some of the monikers some of the the things that would say okay this isn't just ah, you're, you're kind of the computer a little longer than you need to but it's a full-blown addiction well like with any addiction we always look at you know is is this negatively affecting your life? Hmm. And are you continuing to do these um, 
whether it's a substance or if we want to use the term, you know, we've always had process addictions like gambling or pornography, those kind of things. Is it um, negatively, are you continuing to do it even though you've experienced negative consequences from it? Those are some markers for is this truly an addiction? You know, is your life being hindered and are you continuing to use it even though you've had a negative consequence yeah. from its use? And, and I imagine that's on the outside, that's really easy to see. On the inside, yeah. if you're the one with the addiction, you don't know. Right, right, you, yeah. You really do feel like everyone else, no, I just use my phone for this or I just play these games sometimes. It's fine. Like, you're all, everyone else is crazy. I'm doing fine. And that's what I think makes it hard for parents because everybody is doing it, right? All the kids are gaming. All the kids are on their phones. Yeah. All, all the kids, you know, have technology with them all the time. Every parent knows what Fortnite is nowadays, yes. whether they want to or not. And, you know, if you're really up on it, you know that right now the black hole screen is is, is happening and everyone's <laughs> freaking out because no one knows what's going to happen next. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's the, everyone's doing it, so it sometimes kind of makes it hard to figure out, is this normal or not? And how much is this inhibiting what would be a normal life. And I think that moves us really quickly to some of these consequences. So you're, you're telling me we've got increased anxiety rates. We're looking at ADHD levels that are probably never been higher <laughs> uh, by, by huge, huge margins. Uh, you, you're, you're introducing all these things. And so I'm looking at what is our sort of collective long-term consequence, maybe for the individual, maybe socially, maybe both. But uh, what are you seeing as, as what's going to happen or what could happen with this? Well, we know some of the basic consequences are, you know, teens are, um, with social media, they, they have this instant measure of how they fit in. Mm. Right. They, they've even, we've got a term now, it's called fear of missing out. Yeah, FOMO is yeah, what some people FOMO. know it. Yeah, like, because we can measure instantaneously, um, am I getting a like? Am mm. I invited to the party? Who's yeah. at the party and I'm not at the party? Yeah. Um, you know, so much instant feedback about comparing ourselves with what would be, say, a teenager's um, peer group. And um, even if it's, you know, if we don't think about it in that terms, even as adults, we, we can experience FOMO of, oh, it's fall break and everyone's to the beach and I'm not. You yeah. know, I'm at home doing X, Y, and Z. I must be missing out or am mm -hmm. I missing out? You know, it's sort of a subconscious thing that we, we are aware that's there, but we're not totally conscious that we're thinking about it. Yeah. And it can build these levels of anxiety, depression. It impacts our self-esteem of, mm. well, you know, do I fit in? Am I, you know, am I missing out? Am I missing out on life? Am I, um, you know, not having purpose? Yeah. Like maybe everyone else does. Everyone else looks like their life is together, but I know that, this and this and this is happening in my life so yeah 
uh, you're Am I missing out on life? Yeah, right. Like you're you're also hitting at issues of like uh, identity formation. Like mm-hmm. if I'm worried about all this stuff, can I figure out who I am? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's one of those really small consequences no one really ever talks about that have incredible impacts. Because mm-hmm. if I'm sitting there managing. Uh, keeping up with everything going on and I'm fearing what's going on all I'm doing is doubting myself all the time and it's, it's, it's hard to have a solid identity formation if all you're doing is saying I'm missing this mm-hmm. something must be awful about me mm-hmm. therefore right. I can't make a strong identity or I dislike myself and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised that if this has some sort of responsibility uh, particularly the social media piece but certainly more than just that on the sort of uh, doomer situation the newest generation they're calling the doomers because everything for them is just painted in colors of doom and gloom and everything's terrible and mm. if I had to sit in FOMO all the time I think I'd feel the same way Right, right. <laughs> it's, I can't blame them for their feeling if that's what they're under and that's what they're experiencing is terrible 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 I'm, I'm not good enough so um, I think that's probably one of the smaller uh, uh, pieces of it, but plays a gigantic effect on psychology. So I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that obviously these issues as they move into adulthood, they're going to make for very uh, fragile, might be a good word, uh, malleable, worried, and you know, insecure, um, unsustainable <laughs> adults is one way to put it. Right. Well, we know from Brene Brown's research on shame, and she defines shame as um, the belief that I'm not enough, hmm. that I'm unlovable, or that I don't belong. Yeah. You know, we could easily think about how technology could exasperate those those feelings of shame. Yeah. And, um, you know, Brene says we, we're all wired to struggle with those identity hmm. issues, and we can never totally get away from it, but we can um, become more shame resilient where we're not as, you know, those messages that you're not enough, that you don't belong, um, that you're not lovable, we can insulate ourselves better, you know, against those attacks. But if if technology is constantly reinforcing that, then it's going to be hard to insulate ourselves from that. Yes, uh, and I could, we could spend an hour talking about shame and uh, uh-huh. certainly Brene Brown's research. It's been uh, very influential. Um, I'm going to have to not talk about that because yeah. that's all I want to talk about now. Um, I, I don't think I want to so much go into the brain's wiring or, or sort of how that feeds. I, I think we want to move a little bit more pragmatic just with the time that we have left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really want to take as much time as we can sort of on the okay, we, we know there's some issues going on here. We know that they're big. We know that they're, they're culturally, socially, global, right? They're everywhere. We look at our own families, we look at our own friends, we look at our own kids, and I think we look into the broad, broad, broad umbrella of solutions. What do we do about this? We being parents, we being um, the world of psychology and counseling, um, we being, you know, just responsible human beings on the planet. I, I'd love to hear, and we're going to get into this one, but I, I'd love to hear sort of some ideas that you've come forward with as, as far as what are some potential solutions for technology's effects on, on mental health. Well, I think if, you know, as adults, we have to first look at ourselves. Hmm. You know, if 
how much is technology um, influencing and in a sense controlling my life? Um, how is it um, presented, modeled, you know, um, with say my children? Am I allowing technology to be more important than any relationship I have with my child? And you know, if we were to ask someone that question, they would say, oh, absolutely not. But when we think about everyday life, what would our child say? Like, if they are asking a que us a question, are we answering them while we look at our phone? Um, or not able to spend time with them because we're at the beach and our phone's not charging. Absolutely. And all we can think about is, ah, oh, my phone. Right. Or are we at the beach down, you know, by the water and instead of watching our child build sandcastles and interacting with them, we're scrolling on our phone mm -hmm. and we're physically there, but emotionally we're not there. You know, yeah. we're not interacting, we're not having meaningful conversations, whether it's at the beach or the dinner table. Um, again, like, what does that look like? Is there um, a technology, are there technology free zones and times in your family? in your relationship with your partner, in your relationship with your kids. Like, challenging yourself to think about those um, practical applications and what message am I sending through my behaviors yeah. about what really is important. You know, are, are we staying up late at night, you know, doing things technology-wise when we could be having meaningful conversations with our partners, our family, you know. Um, that's one of the negative drawbacks is that we we don't have to shut it off. It can be 24-7. And yeah. so we've kind of fell in that trap of, of um, not having boundaries around it. So maybe thinking about what boundaries need to be in place so that it's not controlling me and I'm controlling it. Hmm. Yeah, I'd love to hear about some of those boundaries exactly right so I, I i think the temptation sometimes is okay i see my kid using the phone too much or his computer too much and i go okay well you're only allowed 30 minutes of tech time today and they use up that 30 minutes messaging a friend or just talking or doing something and the parent comes in and goes okay your 30 minutes is over and they say but i gotta write a paper that's a hard position to be in. So I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what would be sort of some options. And I'm not expecting any sort of all-encompassing <laughs> thing here, yeah. but you know, what would be some options for parents that are fighting with the nuance and can't live with something as simple as, you know, just X amount of time per day? What, what would you offer to those yeah, parents? Yeah, well, we, we do know that there's um, technology boundaries there, you know, things like, um, or at home, you know, anyone can buy, it used to be called the Disney Circle. Mm. Now it's, I think, just called Circle. Um, it's a wonderful little device that you can hook up to your um, router and the parent app is on their phone. They can totally control t um, time periods, even what type of media is allowed and not allowed. Okay. They can set bedtimes when it shuts off. It's a wonderful little tool. Um, but to answer your question about, like, you know, is all technology equal? Probably not. What we do know is that, you know, 
technology uh, affects the dopamine levels in our brain. Like it's an instant feedback, it gives us satisfaction. Some technology really amps up that dopamine production much quicker and faster than other types of technology. For instance, if you're writing a paper or watching TV, writing a paper probably be with lower dopamine activity than watching TV, but then higher up on the scale, you know, you've got gaming, right? Yeah. So thinking about if you were gonna, if a parent was gonna set limits, like what kind of limits do I wanna have and do I wanna categorize them? So, mm. you know, limits for lower dopamine type activities, probably might be different than limits for higher dopamine activities. Um, because we do know, you know, without getting into a lot of this, that our brains are uh, malleable. We yeah. call it neuroplasticity. And so we can rewire our brains if we're, you know, doing too much of one thing. And we don't want to rewire those brains to have, um, be dependent on an external stimulant like a high dopamine you know activity yeah so using um, device you know technology uh, devices like the circle you know Verizon has uh, a program where you can control um, different things on on your children's phones through their um, I think it's a family plan kind of thing they have and you know again it's through an app and you can control how much and of what and all of that kind of thing when they're away from the house. So lots of options there to, to think about. Um, so yeah, just kind of a simple quick answer for that. Those are some options. Yeah, I think that's one thing I'm hearing in the midst of this is, is years ago we had the reaction of, okay, well just cut it all off, just get rid of it, just throw the computer out the window. And obviously we can't do that. And, right. and even saying you can only use technology X amount of time per day has its own drawbacks too. Right. Like I could actually see how setting some of these rules would make more issues in the parent-child relationship than it would resolve them. Well, and what we know about um, behavior too is that any anyone does better with positive reinforcement. So it's always helpful to set the bar lower and then let someone earn extra time, so to speak, through other um, positive reinforcements. In other words, well, you know, when you get all, not, not, you know, if you don't get all this done, you're going to get things taken away, but when you get things done, when you get your chores done, when you get your homework done by, say, X amount of five o'clock or whatever time limit six o'clock you want to set then you can have extra time mm. so it's like a motivating thing to yeah. you know have a more balanced life sort of speak like you know be responsible in other areas and um not let technology kind of be hijacking things and it's something you work to earn not something that gets taken away because you're misusing it can yeah. be a helpful approach. Yeah, I like that. I, I like the idea of the balanced life. Uh, I think one thing you're saying with that, the idea of the balanced life is, yeah, you can you can get online and play some games. That's fine. You can uh, do your papers and do your writing online. You can do things around the house with the family. You can get together and go, you know, play basketball with your friends. You can 
maybe have some you know hobbies on the side that are non-electronic mm-hmm. right uh, playing a musical instrument something like mm-hmm. that um, of course there's many others but uh, this sounds great this sounds good I think this is what we need to be promoting uh, it sounds like one thing you're saying is a lot of people stick with these rigid boundaries and they're not replacing them with anything Right, right. We wouldn't want to set up something where you just say, okay, you can't have this, but not be encouraging some positive replacements because, you know, you can't stop something that's a bad habit unless you have something positive to replace it with. Right. So, yes, definitely um, encouraging um, other activities. Um, You know, kids today, I'm finding have a really hard time even understanding what it means to go uh, find something to entertain yourself that's not technology related. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's become so ubiquitous that it is once you, if you were to set off an EMP in a household and there is no electricity anywhere, kids would know what to do. Uh, and not because, you know, something is quote unquote wrong with them, but because it's just so ingrained and it's so, for them, organic. Yeah, like they've never had to have to learn how to um, be, to comfort themselves in in discomfort. And, you know, I, I, I really cringe when I see, you know, toddlers being pacified constantly technology like in the grocery store or in the restaurant yeah and I get it as a parent you know it's hard to have a nice meal when your kids acting up (laughs) and you just want to hand the device to them but if we can think beyond the immediate like what we want for our children is for them to develop the skills of being able to occupy themselves but take that ownership of um, okay, I can do this, or I can tolerate discomfort for a short period of time, yeah. and I can get through it. And, and, you know, that is a lifelong skill that's going to serve us for the realities of life because we are going to face discomfort the rest of our life, and we're going to have to know how to sit with that discomfort. And yeah. if we start at the very beginning with a baby a nine month old or whatever and we just constantly pacify them and their discomfort we're really doing them a disservice yeah and i i think one thing you're saying in that too is that maybe there are times it is okay yeah right that there's there's a nuance to this i don't want to make it a rule of right. okay if you're a mom and one time you let your kid have this, <laughs> this phone at a restaurant like you're a bad parent not right. at all there's there's definitely times where maybe you've tried a lot of other things that didn't work right I think it's probably okay to have as an option, but maybe something to reserve for my first option. Maybe yeah. it's, hey, let's play with the salt and pepper shakers or make up a game as a first option or maybe we have a child's favorite toy as, a, as another option. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's, it's a good progression builder if it gets to that yeah. point. You shouldn't feel any shame for having to reach that point right. if you feel like you've done everything else on the list or if the the freak out is just so bad it has to be right and again we're focusing on how to have a balanced life right Mm -hmm. so it's not that you that we want to you know make technology be this horrible thing but are we helping our our children have a more balanced have more balanced options on how to live life 
you know, satisfy um, interest and um, desires for um, entertainment in other ways other than technology. That's a very good point on the whole. Um, we're going to need to sort of wrap up our time together. I wanted to see if there was any other point that we may have missed, anything that you're like, hey, I really wanted to say this, but I didn't get a chance to uh, mention it. Uh, any other sort of, I guess, closing or, or final thought, as it were? Well, yeah, I think it would be that, you know, we all are wired for connection. Mm. So remembering that this isn't just about um, taking away technology and replacing it with other things, but it's also about what what's the quality of the connections with my partner, with my children. Mm. Are they quality connections? Because at the end of the day, that's what we all really need. So... Um, letting that be the overarching principle as well and you know one of the ways that can show up is you know when we hear the protest which we will from the toddlers to the you know teenagers of that's not fair <laughs> you know we can we can connect with them by being empathic and saying I know it's hard but you can do this you know connecting even in that can be helpful yeah um, aside from just the other ways we think about connecting, which is, you know, just having meaningful conversations. And when they're gaming, let, you know, try to find out what it is that they like about that game. You know, learn about what's important to them about that game and um, who are some of the people that they play with and why is, why is that important to them. So not just you know, telling them they have to get out of this world, but also joining them in that world can be important too. Yeah, I, I really like the emphasis of games can be a wonderful and great thing and then a source of community for, for certain kids and for a parent to get involved and be interested. The issue becomes when it becomes too much. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's, that's great. Um, Debbie, thanks for joining us today. I appreciated having you on the show. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Counseling Podcast. The Restoration Counseling Podcast is a product of Restoration Counseling of Atlanta, a provider of professional counseling services in the greater metro Atlanta area. If you are interested in pursuing any of our services, if you would like to contact Jared about the podcast, or if you have a notable mental health story that you'd like to share to help inspire others, uh, please reach out to us at info at restorationcounselingatl.com. Again, that is info at restorationcounselingatl.com. Thank you.